Computer, initialize Holosuite. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sci-Fi Feminist Podcast. For today's episode, I will be talking about a very cool and fun movie that I saw just the other day, and it is called Gunpowder Milkshake. So if you haven't seen the movie before, I highly recommend it. Uh, it hasn't received great reviews all round, but from my first impressions, I can tell you that it was entertaining, it's fun, it's exciting, it has a nice soundtrack, a nice cast, and it's just action-packed and good entertainment for a Friday night. So, obviously, the movie, if you have seen it, you will know that it boasts how many? I think five or six female main protagonists, and it kind of borrows the tradition of female fighting movies like Kill Bill and some have also called it like a John Wick type of uh, imitation although uh, to be really honest and I know this is embarrassing but I haven't seen John Wick <laughs> maybe I should put that on my list but anyway this movie um, follows in that type of cinematic tradition so of course then it's the topic for today's discussion because it has some subtle and some very explicit feminist themes throughout the movie. So today I'm going to be talking a little bit about women reading and women knowledge and weapons in the movie. I'm going to talk about motherhood in the movie and also about women fighting and killing in the movie. So yes, you can look forward to another very exciting, interesting episode of this podcast. And just a reminder that I have a YouTube channel on which I post these podcast episodes as well, as well as extra content. And um, I don't know if I promised this in last week's episode, but I promise in the following week, I will really actually start doing re reviews of the Star Trek Voyager uh, comic books that I've read and also some other ones. But first I'll start with Voyager. So yeah, before I get completely too off topic, uh, follow the YouTube channel. I am on Instagram, Twitter, all those social media sites. Okay, so not to waste your time with all of these things, let me get right into today's discussion. Now, the first thing worth mentioning about this movie is that a lot of reviews actually identify it as a feminist movie. Now, that is not only because it has a mostly female cast with female protagonists, but there are actually many feminist themes in the movie itself. So today, let me recap or let me go through some of those themes and um, you'll see that this movie is in a very subtle way feminist, but it is also in a very overt way or very explicit way feminist in some instances and in some scenes. So the first scene where we see some feminist commentary, and this is one of the more subtle commentaries, is where the main protagonist, her name is Samantha, for short they call her Sam in the movie, we see that she's watching TV and she is doing something on her arm and then uh, we later realize that she's actually like giving herself stitches or sewing up a wound on her arm. So there's this man called Nathan. He works for a company called The Firm, which is kind of a company run by men, 
mostly white men, as usual, who uh, they, they kind of run the world, it seems, through these assassinations. And um, Sam is one of the assassins that works for the firm. So I guess Nathan is kind of like her boss. Um, I don't know. But her mother also worked for this company called The Firm. Her mother played by Lena Headey, which is one of my favorite actresses. But <laughs> enough of that. So we see that uh, when Nathan phones her, he asks her, what are you doing? Or what are you busy with? And then she says, I'm sewing. So as you know, sewing is actually a, how can I say, Activity traditionally associated with femininity. So in the 1960s or 1950s, I presume, when many women were confined to the house as housewives, sewing was something that women seemed to, all women seemed to be able to do. And my mom actually told me when she was young and when she was in school, actually many of the girls took sewing classes. So it's actually like a really... You know, the guys couldn't take sewing as a subject, but girls did. So it's a very traditionally feminine activity. So then the feminist irony comes here in the fact that she's not sewing clothing or mending some garments or something, but that she's actually sewing up her skin. <laughs> and she does it, it seems, without any anesthetic or anything, which is very painful, of course. So... Yeah, you can see there's a very subtle feminist irony and feminist commentary on that very traditionally feminine activity. And then later on in the movie, we see a much more explicit reference to feminism. There is this one scene where she visits her, and I uh, put this in quotation marks, her aunts. So they're not actually biologically her aunts. But there are these three women that she kind of grew up with that her mother knew. And they are played by Michelle Yeoh. As you know, she's one of my favorite, favorite actresses. And Angela Bassett, who is also awesome, of course. And another actress who I'm not quite familiar with. And they run this safe house, I think you can call it that, where it looks like a library, but actually in the books in the library, there are actually hidden weapons. So in one of the earlier scenes, we see that she, uh, her mom receives a book and inside the book is a gun. So that's kind of how they run their business or how they do their operation. So she visits them and at first, they don't realize it's her. And then, of course, when she says, my name is Sam, they realize, oh, it's uh, Scarlett's daughter, Lena Headey's character. It's her daughter. So she came to get some new guns. <laughs> so while they're unpacking her bag of old guns, they're making all sorts of commentaries, assuming what type of person she might be based on her oeuvre of guns or her inventory of guns. So I'm not sure which character says this, but one of them says, oh, she's a feminist. And then I think this is Michelle Yeoh's character. Her name is Florence. She says, oh, there's nothing wrong with that. So then they, in the next, uh, the next thing that takes place then is that they give her new guns, but obviously the guns are in the books. So they take out books by female authors or 
arguably feminist authors from the 1800s. So she receives a book by Charlotte Bronte and one by Jane Austen and one by Virginia Woolf. And then, of course, when she opens the books, there are weapons inside. So I think that was a very clever way of, you know, of course, referencing feminism quite explicitly, like, oh, she's a feminist, but also more implicitly recognizing the impact that female authors have had on English literature, at least. You know, all of those three female authors were very prolific authors, and they often wrote about women's issues too. And um, in retrospect, we can also consider them feminists, especially Virginia Woolf. So then she receives the books with the guns inside from these feminist authors. What I also read into this, and I don't know if I'm stretching it or if this is a reach, but, and we see throughout the movie actually, that there are many scenes of women reading so the first time she comes to the library, the librarian is busy reading. We're not sure what she's reading, but she's reading a book on, yeah, I don't know, she's reading. And then when Sam visits the hospital too, the nurse is also busy reading before she actually helps Sam. So we see a lot of representations of women reading in this movie. And then, of course, the book's kind of play into the theme and the books in which they hide the weapons. You know, all of these things linked together. And I would suggest that this means that quite literally, you know, knowledge is power. I think that's the message they want to get across, especially for women. You know, education for women is their power. Of course, there's a lot of violence and a lot of fighting and a lot of women performing very impressive stunts, <laughs> uh, women being able to do everything that men can do. And we actually see in the movie, and I've read that this is some criticism of it, that, you know, the male characters seem to be gunned down, dumbed down, and they just seem to be there for the body count, for all the female characters to kill. You know, so we see these very explicit representations of women fighting and killing and shooting, and being able to do everything that a male hero would be able to do, you know, being physically very capable and very deadly, of course. But more implicitly, that actually for women, knowledge is power. Now, as you know, about 100 or 150 years ago, women were denied books or reading or education. You know, women's place was in the home. So by having this theme of women reading and the theme of books throughout, I think that makes a very um, clear feminist stance on, you know, women should have education. And as you know, too, obviously in um, Western European nations and, you know, some East, of course, Eastern nations, too, and I'm, where I am in South Africa, too, you know, women have access to books, academia, knowledge, all of those things. But there are many places where they are still not allowed to read or not allowed formal education. So I think that is a feminist issue that the movie explores in a very subtle and clever way, I felt. Yes. So on to the next topic then is the idea of women working together and also mother and daughter relationship. Now, I have pointed this out in a few podcasts before, too, that recently we see many representations of motherhood in 
Star Trek Discovery, for example, I noted how the main character, Michael Burnham, has three mother figures. You know, she doesn't even have just have one mother. She has three. <laughs> um, that's how important it is. In Mad Max Fury Road, we see how Furiosa, her main quest is to get back to the mothers. Do they call them the many mothers? I can't remember. But her quest is to get back to the mothers. Um, we see this in the new Tomb Raider video games, even. There's an emphasis on motherhood. So mother-daughter relationships, uh, also Maleficent, I might mention that. The story of Maleficent, the rebooted one, is basically a love story between mother and daughter. You know, um, and I don't mean that in any weird way. I mean, you know, it's about the, the love between a mother and a daughter, an adoptive mother and a daughter. So motherhood seems to be a very big theme that is explored in more contemporary movies and representations of women. So I was, of course, not very surprised that this is a main theme. We see at first the mom leaving her child behind at a very early age and then not speaking to her for 15 whole years, which is quite bad. But then later her mother comes back and she helps her and together uh, they team up with these librarians and then they literally at the end take down the patriarchy together, which is represented by the firm. So, yeah, there's another uh, feminist theme and that only comes out right at the end. You know, women teaming up together to take down the patriarchy, which is represented by the, the firm. But even more than that, we see a positive representation of mother and daughter working together and also of women working together. I think I've said this a million times, but, you know, movies that pit women against each other, like Disney loves to do, for example, the Cruella movie, you can listen to the podcast on that, and also in Maleficent, the Mistress of Evil, the second Maleficent movie, and also in Raya and the Last Dragon, you can also listen to that podcast, um, you know... It seems impossible for Disney to allow women to work together. But in this movie, we see women working together, not competing with each other about who's more powerful, who's more beautiful or anything like that, but really just working together to protect one of their own and to protect a little girl named Emily. So we see uh, that. And then at the end, there's this really nice uh, visually exciting scene of Lena Headey and Karen Gillian, the the uh, Sam, <laughs> the actress that plays Sam, uh, you know, beating up the gangsters together and working together to to survive and to help each other to survive. So I really enjoyed that, <laughs> uh, seeing a mother and daughter working together. And then that brings me to the next point. And this is really just um, maybe a bit of, I don't know, self-indulgence. I don't know. Um, but this is something that I've noticed on some fan interpretations. They say that the librarians have sapphic undertones. Um, and there's this one scene and I'm, I'm including this because I wanted to ask this on the podcast because I'm so curious I'm dying. Um, there's a one scene where Florence whispers something to Madeline, the librarian, and it kind of implies that they might be together in a romantic relationship. Uh, I don't know. I, I wish I knew what she whispered to her. So if anyone knows 
what Florence whispered to Madeline, please let me know in the comments or on Twitter or anywhere. I'm just so curious to know. But that links it with the legacy of radical feminism, of course, which kind of denied heterosexuality and also the traditional nuclear family unit. You know, that's why second wave feminists are often stereotyped as being man-hating, although that is absolutely not the case. You know, it's a negative stereotype about many feminists today too. And, um, you know, that's not it. But the movie kind of suggests that, you know, these women, um, they might be in a relationship with each other, but also they don't have traditional feminine lives. You know, one husband, two and a half kids, that very traditional nuclear family unit. So I'm not saying whether that's good or bad. I'm just saying that, it links with the tradition of radical feminism and it situates it within radical feminism. So there's another feminist theme that we see in the movie. But yeah, that aside, to briefly return to motherhood, we also see that the heroine Sam, she also inherited a lot from her mother. Actually, there's many parallels in the movie where we see that she is exact. Uh, acting exactly the way her mother acted towards her when she interacts with the little girl Emily. So she quite literally becomes her mother, who is also a deadly assassin and who also fights and um, who also has many of these seemingly heroic qualities. Now I say seemingly heroic because, um, yeah, I will talk about that in a moment. But we see... um, a lot of yeah qualities inherited from her mother. So this is in contrast to representations of women that we saw in the early 2000s and late 1990s, where they're often portrayed as having inherited many qualities only from their fathers and then having their mothers being either dead or gone or completely absent. So Lara Croft, the video game heroine, is a very good example. We see in the Tomb Raider movies and video games that her father is really the only one that is focused on in her past and that it is implied that she inherited her heroism, her heroic qualities, all of that only from her father. And then some theorists have argued that that kind of continues the patriarchal lineage. So I'm not saying that, you know, fathers are not important, but it is very interesting to see that in this movie, then there is very little mention of her father. He was apparently killed when she was very young, but that she inherited all her heroic qualities from her mother and that she essentially turns into her mother. So we see that matriarchal lineage continuing and not necessarily the patriarchal one. So yeah, once again, of course, that's problematic in certain instances too in itself, but I'm just pointing it out. And I think that's an interesting take. And once again, that is another feminist stance that the movie seems to take. And then of course, Sam herself, She is a very resourceful, very capable heroine. And I feel like this is kind of redundant to mention it, actually. But she's not sexualized. Uh, She's very capable. She's a good fighter. She's extremely deadly. 
And actually, none of the women in the movie are sexualized at all. You know, they're just portrayed as women, maybe a little bit tomboyish even, but they're just portrayed as women who fight and who kill and who are assassins without being uh, sexy or sexualized or anything like that. I might also mention here that there's no romantic storyline in this movie. So maybe I could briefly mention here the Bechdel test. And I've discussed this in the Raya and the Lost Dragon episode too. But this movie would definitely pass the Bechdel test. Because, um, yeah, these women don't talk about men ever. And um, if they do, it's about killing them. <laughs> and... Um, you know, we don't see any romantic relationship, the heroine. And I think that is, that's become so redundant that, you know, people don't even, yeah, people don't even want to see that anymore. I don't know, maybe, maybe movie directors and producers have become, or they know that the audiences have become more evolved than that. You know, we, we can have a movie without having any romantic relationship and it's still a good movie. Um, I think the only maybe very subtle reference to romance is made when Florence whispers something to Madeline. So once again, please, if you know what she whispered, please let me know. But um, yeah, there's no romantic relationship and we don't see a female heroine who is dependent on any male character or anything like that. But, you know, we see this in so many recent representations. We saw that in Black Widow 2, in the Black Widow movie. And in... Yeah, I don't know, countless contemporary heroines, even Furiosa from Mad Max, you know, even there, though there is a, a male hero, they're not together in a romantic relationship. So, yeah, I think um, maybe audiences are just way over that by now. But more interesting than that is that the little girl, Emily, at some point questions these women's violence. And I have thought about this a lot before because I studied Laura Croft a lot. And actually what Laura Croft does is she kills a bunch of people and the body counts in many of the Tomb Raider games are quite high. And it seems that heroism is still linked with violence and extreme violence. So I found this one scene very compelling and very interesting where Chloe asks Sam, ugh, not Chloe, sorry, that's the actress's name, Emily. Emily asks Sam, why do you kill? And Sam says, uh, she can't answer. And then Emily says, is it for revenge? And she's like, no. And she's like, okay, is it for money? She's like, no. So she's like, Oh, so, you know, that makes you a serial killer. And she's like, no, I'm not a serial killer. It's more complicated than that. And Emily is like, but you kill many people. <laughs> so that makes you a serial killer. And then they kind of just le leave the conversation at that. But what I found is that it makes a very implicit critique on why do we view female heroism as violence? Why does it have to be violent? Why do they have to kill a bunch of men in order to be a female hero? Because... We don't see them actually kill any women in the movie. And I think that's why it received some criticism because the men seem to be there only for the body count. So, but it's ironic because, you know, while the movie is making this comment on, you know, serial killing, Chloe is not 
uh, sorry, not Chloe. Why do I keep saying Chloe? Um, Sam. Sam is not really a hero. She's actually a serial killer. <laughs> she's an assassin. And she's actually a serial killer. But we kind of glorify this violence and we say, oh, it's a female hero. You know, the fact that she's so violent and can kill many people and can beat up men makes her a hero. But then ironically, while the movie comments on that and questions that, it also represents a bunch of women killing a lot of men in very violent ways. So I'm not quite sure what the purpose of that discussion between Emily and Sam was, but it's interesting to see that the movie maybe acknowledges, but also does not acknowledge the fact that female heroism should not necessarily be tied to violence. So yes, as you can see, this movie explores quite a few themes relating to women and feminism specifically, maybe some themes more successfully than others. I think my favorite remains the idea of having weapons in books. I think that was very clever. And I think actually maybe the movie didn't even need to have that scene where they say Sam is a feminist. Maybe that's too explicit. I think the movie does enough already to show that this is a feminist movie or this is a movie about feminism. So yeah, that is what I have for today's episode on this movie. I'm sure I might have missed a few things. I really plan to watch it again because I enjoyed the movie a lot. And hopefully then I can pick up on some more themes that come out in terms of women and feminism. And the movie has also been renewed for a second one, or a second one has been confirmed, uh, a sequel for the movie. So I'm very excited to see it and how they follow up. And maybe we can get a little bit more detail on what Florence said to Madeline. Um, that's really bothering me. <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm having sleepless nights over it, but I'm very curious what she said to her. That scene was quite uh, interesting. So, yes. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for listening. Next week, you can look forward to a fascinating episode on Michael Burnham and intersectionality and Star Trek Discovery. So I hope you can look forward to that. And as always, thank you, everyone. This is the Sci-Fi Feminist signing off. Live long and prosper and have a really wonderful week ahead. Stay safe and healthy. Until next time. Bye-bye. This show is brought to you by Holosuite Media. Computer, list other available Holosuite Media programs. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, The Janeway, a Star Trek Voyager podcast. Yeah, so then he replays the last entry on the computer, and it's Janeway saying that they need to abandon ship. Uh, I have issue with this. Okay. Because it's it's a captain's log, whatever. Mm-hmm. When is she ever, like, standing in front of a camera giving a captain's log? This is Captain Janeway for BBC News. <laughs> I mean, she's clearly on the middle of the bridge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's recording her at this point? Chakotay, hey, get the emergency camera rig. <laughs> <laughs> Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, The Sci-Fi Feminist, a feminism and pop culture podcast. So... 
um, she has makeup on, but it's bright red with black like eyeshadow and like long talon nails. And I was so happy to see Corella Deville did have her talons because even in the 101 Dalmatians film, something that's very prominent, oh, I think it's 102 Dalmatians, when she turns back to an insane person, like her shoulder pads come out of nowhere and her nails grow. And I'm just like, that's, that's the female grotesque. Like you take this normal woman who is feminine and then you're like, doublets <laughs> and then add talons. <laughs> Computer, deactivate Holosuite.